It's time again for the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories because we're living in very unusual times and unusual times call for unusual success stories. My guest today is Evan LaRufa, a very, very inspiring Chicago nonprofit founder. He dispels so many myths about starting a nonprofit. In this episode, he talks about the misconceptions that if you start a nonprofit, you can't make money about funding, about they have to beg for funding. He, he covers all of this gold, gold, gold stuff. He talks about how you can combine business with art in a meaningful way while keeping your objective social impact and a mission at the forefront instead of profits. It's going to be a deeply life-altering podcast for many of you. It's definitely going to get me thinking a lot. He is the founder of IPaintMyMind.org, and he has done so many cool things in and around Chicago. There's just a lot to be learned in terms of an unusual success story here, so I'm very pleased to announce Evan LaRufa. All right, so joining me here, Evan LaRufa, like the roof is on fire, I've been recently told. (laughs) Thanks for joining me, man. How are you doing today? I'm good, Ross. Glad to be here. Thanks for thanks for the invite. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, a mutual friend of ours, a man who alternatively goes by the name of Matt Cornelison or Nate Catanus, humorous, very unusual guy, introduced us. Uh, indeed, he has a fictional indeed. fake business influencer persona, which I really dig because we kind of both did the same thing. So, um, so by way of him, <laughs> I met you, Evan. <laughs> so welcome, man. Yeah, no, thanks. It's uh, it's always good to get connected through good people. Matt's a great dude. Definitely he is. So, I mean, I've done a little bit of digging in what you're up to, and obviously seems to be really cool. You're up to a lot. you got a big web presence. You're all over the place. Um, so maybe just fill us in. Like, what's your current work? What's a day in the life of your work? Wow. Um, well, these days, obviously, it's uh, so we're, we're it's November 2020. So we're closing <laughs> in on a wild year, obviously. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of, uh, you know, as far as encapsulating who I am and what I do, I'm a, I'm a creative entrepreneur. So yeah, I run a nonprofit arts organization called I Paint My Mind. And uh, yeah, our mission is to connect communities through art. Um, and so yeah, that's the, that's the bulk of what I'm up to. But then I also do work on other um, creative projects, curation projects, my own art, um, some marketing stuff. Um, yeah, and actually, I'm also kind of uh, getting uh, another business ready to launch uh, for wow. next year. Um, so yeah, man, I, I kind of you know if you go to my my website, I kind of talk about just liking uh, loving to create uh, solve creative problems and so uh, and solve pop problems creatively. And so um, a lot of times that has to do with art, but uh, most of the time it's kind of at this nexus of art and mission. Um, so yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of what we do at I Paint My Mind is, is about using art as a vehicle for impact and connecting folks. That is just super awesome. Um, one thing I did see, I saw a few images of you. There's one of you drinking a Tecate, which immediately calls into question your taste because everybody knows that Modelo is infinitely better. (laughs) Well, see, Hey, Hey, and I appreciate that because I prefer Modelo as well. However, if you put a cult Tecate in front of me, I am not bad <laughs> at that. So uh, say what you will, but yeah, if, you, if anyone puts a, a cult Tecate in front of me, I'm slamming that as well. All right, fair enough. We'll, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right, so no, very cool stuff. Um, so, well, you know, I guess the, the immediate question is, how the hell did you get on this path? I mean, how does one go? Sure. Tell me the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think... It's interesting because for me, kind of where I come from is kind of why I do the work that I do. So, you know, you know, for us that I paint my mind, a lot of what we're doing is working with artists, businesses and communities to basically execute cool art programs that connect folks. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, when I kind of think about why I do that work, it kind of does come back to the the, the genesis story of sorts, you know, Um uh, I, uh, I've grown up in Chicago my whole life, uh, on the North side of Chicago in Rogers park. Uh, my dad is from Argentina. My mom is from Kansas. They met in Spain and then settled here in Chicago. So, um, I kind of, uh, I'm a multicultural kid. I kind of think of myself as a global citizen, um, very much, uh, an urban kid. Like I'm drawn to urban spaces. I love concrete actually green is cool too, but like, I definitely come from the city. And, Mm. 
yeah, you know, I kind of uh, really kind of think about my experience as kind of being a, uh, this cultural spy. Uh, so like being someone um, who comes from uh, a, a white background on both sides, but I'm one of those sides being Latino. So I'm, mm. I'm a white Latino. I grew up in a house where we speak Spanish even more than English and we mm. kind of go through languages and use them both when we need them. Um, you know, and I think that kind of upbringing uh, put me in a, in a uh, bilingual immersion school that was very much about art and activism. So, you know, I kind of always uh, recall on this experience in fourth grade where it was like we turned the hallways into the rainforest. It was like the rainforest exhibit, right? But like when you yeah. walk through that hallway, it was a rainforest, right? right. And so right. Um, I just really kind of think about those experiences as a kid, you know, whether it was that rainforest or um, seeing Salvador Dali's original works in Paris as a young person, right? Or just like some of these moments um, where art and creativity and usually an experience of that art really just kind of blows our minds, right? And kind of gets us excited about the world and what we can make and what we can contribute. So, you know, when I kind of kind of look back, I think being raised in a family where like I was embracing my cultural identity, proud of it, um, really engaging with other people's cultural identities and being creative kind of all the way through that. Um, you know, I kind of thought of myself more as like an organizer and a do-gooder than a creative necessarily, but kind of mm -hmm. as I look back, it's kind of all very, very intertwined. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I ended up, um, my kind of uh, <laughs> weird uh, fork in the road was I was going to go to college to play soccer. I was, uh, uh, yeah, I played competitive soccer all growing up. And then I got hurt on the second day of tryouts uh, ended up favoring uh, cigarettes instead of soccer and oh uh, actually did a lot of like uh, activist work um, in college. Right. So, yeah, yeah basically after college, I kind of got really into all these different social issues and then was kind of a little bit hot under the collar, you might say, as far as like uh, the nonprofit sector, not thinking about sustainable ways to fund the work. Right. So it was like, mm. yeah, you want to do all this great work in the world, but um, how are you going to make it happen? How you, where's the cash, sure. right? Like got to fund it. And so, yeah, I mean, that kind of like bridges, um, kind of that gap, um, from college. I started, I kept working in nonprofits, worked for the citizens utility board, which did a lot of advocacy work, um, a lot of direct action stuff, representing workers and ensuring people were getting paid their wages and things like mm. that. And then, yeah, I paint my mind was really kind of, putting the critique about nonprofits, bringing my kind of creative and curatorial way of being in the world. And then, um, yeah, kind of uh, doing it so that mutual benefit could be created and we could connect with folks, right? So yeah, I Paint My Mind became a nonprofit in 2012. We launched a gallery and since have kind of uh, developed our different services, whether art rentals or mural commissions, um, which are essentially these mission aligned services that allow us to fund the work. So uh, when Adidas hires us to curate rotating art for their originals flagship store on Milwaukee Avenue in Chicago, um, we use a large chunk of the revenue from that project to fund free art programs in local schools. So, um, you know, really what, um, and we've, we've, we're all about testing. We've learned a ton along the way, but I do think one thing that we, we didn't have all the way figured out, but we definitely were kind of sniffing at the solution. Um, it was all about how do we, create mission aligned value generating services that can fund the work. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah I'm, you know, proud to say that that's been working and that I think my mind is, uh, over 90% uh, earned income, uh, right now, which is, um, you know, in the nonprofit sector, completely unheard of, you know, most folks are really relying on grants and kind of, uh, the typical way that nonprofits fund, but, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're happy to say that our model, is working and growing. And yeah, we've actually even been able to add to the team this year, despite everything that's been going on. So, um, you know, I, I feel lucky to be able to kind of take a, a big picture lens on this and yeah. feel kind of positive despite all the flux in the world. But yeah, yeah I think, huge, you know, for man. me, it's uh, that that's kind of the ebb story. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, we have a lot of overlap, I just noticed. Um, so you, you probably don't know this about me, but my wife is Dutch. So I lived in Europe for many years, actually, for eight years. And oh, wow, my cool. wife is herself half Costa Rican and half Dutch. So her dad is 100% Costa Rican. And now we're raising a kid here in the U.S. 
So uh, we've got a lot that. of that going on. And also soccer was my life for many, many years until I had an ACL injury in high school. And then that oh wow, man, put me on a path of theater. And then I became a theater kid. <laughs> I was on go. crutches. So Forks there's a lot love, of man. a lot of overlap there, man. Um, That's but interesting. I, I think one of the coolest things about your story and one of the most exciting things is, you know, those who know me know that I like things with a little bit more depth to them. I like things, you know, missions or... It's not about the money, 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 who's the richest, who can do the most, you know, who, especially one of my biggest pet peeves is people who just sell junk for twenty nine ninety nine. Like, look, here's a squatty potty. It's sure. a piece of molded plastic or just garbage in advance that, you know, we're accumulating all this garbage, poisoning the planet, all of that. So I love the idea of having some kind of better mission, but also maintaining that entrepreneurial spirit, which it seems like you have done really, really well. So that's super, super cool to start. Cheers. Um, so, yeah, uh, but I'm, I'm very curious. So 2012, you started. So eight years ago, how did you begin that? It's your company, right? Or your organization. You founded this. So how, how did you start it? Sure. Yeah. So I am the founder. Uh, it's a nonprofit. So, yeah, I don't own the company, but yeah, I'm the founder and oh, I sit on sure. the board uh, yeah. and, and run the company as the or the organization as the executive director. But, yeah, you know, I think um, it's interesting, like, uh you know, I've always kind of been a, a curator, right? So the guy who's like, Ross, you got to listen to that record. Oh, did you see that yeah. show? Oh my God, Same. that piece yeah. of art. Uh, right. So like, it, you know, uh, yeah, there was just kind of, I got a cool little bit of encouragement from a buddy a bunch of years ago. He's like, I would read Evan's blog when everybody was like, had blogs. Right. And right. yeah, basically that was, was, I paint my mind. And, and it was interesting because like the, even those words, uh, I paint my mind, like come from a John Prashanti uh, song lyric that's like, yeah, just about like, if we're enjoying the beauty, come join me, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if I if I paint my mind, it's just because I'm alive, right? This idea of just like being creative because you are alive. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, a, a buddy Bill said, hey, Ev, I'd read your blog. And I started doing that. And yeah, basically, it was just kind of like a inexperienced blog. Like I had no idea about SEO or any sure. of that kind of stuff until until recently, right? But uh, it was a way to just kind of start putting my kind of curatorial lens out there and consistently publish. And yeah, Definitely. the kind of cool thing was, uh, um, so one of our main programs is an art rental program where, yeah, Adidas can rent art and then we are able to fund art programs in the school. And actually like back when it was just a blog, few artists started like sending us prints as like thank yous. And I kind of started being like, like what's going on here, right? And then right. Um, I had also seen this film called Herb and Dorothy. Uh, I think you can see the full thing on YouTube, actually. Okay. And it's about this, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's couple in New York City that basically starting, and I think in like the late 50s, uh, basically started collecting art. They would spend one of their salaries on art and one of their salaries on living because you could do that in the 50s in <laughs> right. New York City. Um, totally fine. But uh, yeah, and then like they basically just like, their apartment was full of all this incredible art. You know, they had like, the beginnings of like famous artists. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a really cool or like, one. Not the whole the... thing, but a snippet or something I've, I think I've seen. Yeah, you know, I would encourage people to revisit it in this, okay. this lazy Thanksgiving week potentially. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. And, you know, it just kind of, they kind of ended up sharing their art collection with the world, right? So instead of just keeping it in their apartment, it's then like touring the globe and, you know, inspiring people all over the place. And so we kind of like, that was an interesting little seed of inspiration as far as seeing mm -hmm. art coming in and also kind of having a mind to like, how can we do this in a sustainable way or build it in a way that we're not still asking the same question that most nonprofits are, which is how are you going to fund the work? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, just as we've kind of gotten that um, on a roll, you know, back in 2012, we became a nonprofit. We're hosting more events around the city, gallery shows, uh, little concerts, film screenings, things like that. Um, and then got a, a great opportunity to host a gallery space for four years. And that's where it kind of uh, the whole serv art service model started to build out of that. And, uh, and yeah, and actually in 2017, we sunset that so that we could really focus on connecting with artists, businesses and communities to leverage more of these services to provide Chicago public schools with art programs that are increasingly hard to come by you know the the statistics yeah. on the defunding of the arts um are awful um Yikes. yeah and um so yeah it just like feels really good to be able to come into schools and support teachers support principals support kids and really give them these 
energetic creative experiences that like as i said before really i think if we're doing it properly we are creating more of these moments where the lid is getting blown off a kid's head and they're thinking really about their future in a really cool personal way that is so awesome man so maybe tell us a little bit about like so what is the model then it's obviously there's two sides but tell like what is the model on both sides of the equation there's only one side. So I'm glad okay. that you said that. Okay. So that's like a big thing, actually. Like, so, mm. and, and it's part of actually one of my soapboxes. So, you know, there's, and you kind of mentioned it, right. That like, you're into stuff with mission. I think all of us are like, yeah. most of us, uh, want, um, our interactions with the world, our business interactions, the companies we engage with to be good citizens as well. Right. And to mm. not hasten the end of the world as, right. as, as you mentioned. Right. So I think like, um, I have seen a lot of this like social entrepreneurship, which, um, hey, if you're thinking about making the world a better place, I'm not gonna knock you too hard. But I think what's happened is a lot of folks with a mind towards business have decided to open uh, for-profit businesses that have some type of social benefit marketing spin. Mm -hmm. So. That's like Tom's, okay. you, you, you give a shoe away for um, every shoe you sell or something like that? Or? And like I'm saying, Exactly. And like, I'm not mad at Tom's. They've like the one for one model is, is fantastic. Bombus does a great job with it. There's lots of companies that are mm -hmm. really making a great impact. Um, at the same time, they've clearly prioritized their own profitability profit, over yeah. that mission. Okay. Right. So like, um, again, not to denigrate those folks, I think they're doing really important work, but it is a strategic choice and it favors their pocketbook, particularly, right? My whole kind of soapbox is that if there's any type of mission driven component to your project, it should be a nonprofit for a few reasons. Wow. Number one, that it does not limit your ability to sell products and services. Okay. I pay my mind as a 501c3 nonprofit. We do art rentals, we do mural consulting, we sell B2C merchandise, we do all like, like I said, we're over 90% earned income. This is a huge uh, myth and misconception about revenue mm. generation in the nonprofit sector. So like, you know, that, that's the first reason. But I think the second reason is that there's all these incredible benefits to becoming a nonprofit um, as far as you, A, actually putting the community ahead of your pocketbook, like B, being forced to think about what those sustainable revenue sources would be so that you're not doing all this grant and foundation groveling stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then, you know, quite frankly, uh, being able to really lean into your messaging because you have um, been able uh, to put the community's benefit um, at the same level as like the founders, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, at I Paint My Mind, um, yeah, we're not limited at all in selling products and services. And so for us, ensuring that it was a nonprofit, um, I think means that we can really ensure that our true north around mission stays our true north mm -hmm. and that we not convince ourselves that like our profitability personally is also somehow better for the world. Um, I think a lot of folks kind of convince themselves of that because they have a social component to their marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, honestly, it's less about like denigrating someone's choice to do the social entrepreneur thing on the capital side. To me, the real value and kind of what I'm talking about is the nonprofit sector totally redefining the way we think about the future of good work, right? Wow. So like- That's huge. That, I think so, dude. And that's why every single time that I pay my mind is able to succeed, I feel like we're becoming more and more of a case study for, for how this can be done. And, and not that we're the only ones doing it, but I do think we're being especially intentional about- our funding mix and putting the ball in our court as far as being able to build a solution where we're dictating our future, not going to some outside source to lobby for validation. Right. Right. Which is a lot of what happens in the nonprofit sector. And you get those sector. strings so, attached that maybe you don't want attached. Yeah. Right? Yep. And then all of a sudden you're maybe not saying what you would have said a little while ago. And that's yeah. how compromises get made. Right. But, um, so you're able to and maintain like independence. I, yeah. Yes, absolutely. But I and I and, and and more so you're able to continue doing the work and it makes it so that even as a nonprofit executive, I 
spend no time groveling. Mm-hmm. I just do the work. We do the work. We connect communities through art. It's always mission, whether it's on at Adidas or at a school on the South side, because like we've made the work, the work, we don't have to do other work to fund the work, the work. Yes. <laughs> right. And Definitely. so like that totally. So like, you know, for me, I really um, hope to kind of pull on this thread more kind of demystify limitations that the nonprofit sector really has put on itself. Like, quite frankly, a lot of us on the social left who want to make the world a better place don't understand business as well as we should. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're, um, it's a knowledge gap. It's a, it's a place where things don't go as well. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, in nonprofits, I really think efficiency and like impact for your dollars needs to be as uh, needs to be evaluated as critically as like a top traded stock CEO is thinking about buybacks because we got to get these numbers right. Right. <laughs> right. So it's just like, if you care about the mission, efficiency has to be at the top. Like we can't be wasting budget on shit that isn't the mission, you know? Right. And I think once we start to like realize that there are lots of benefits to creating nonprofits um, and that we're not sacrificing, um, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're really just sacrificing a potential IPO at the end of our company. Okay. Right. I, I get paid a salary to work at I pay my mind. Like I'm not out here asking for handouts on the street right. because I work at a nonprofit, <laughs> which is like right? the like, number one thing. Yeah. It's, it's either, it's either how am I going to get paid or somebody is, you know, embezzling money or getting, paying themselves way too much. Right. Those are the two conversations that you generally hear. Well, and I mean, and quite frankly, I think most of them are not those two conversations, I think, are less emblematic of the real issue, which is like, are nonprofits pursuing realistic and sustainable and like mission driven ways of funding the work? You know what I mean? And I think like, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that there's more versatility there and that I think a lot of people really do misunderstand what the limitations are and are not. And so, you know, I really encourage, um, and this, this is one of my future projects as well, as far as more writing, and I think a book around kind of demystifying this stuff, but seems like um, a great idea. Yeah, man, I just really encourage anyone who's thinking about making the world a better place to not get caught up in this, um, false notion that they're, committing themselves to a vow of poverty by starting or being part of nonprofit and that somehow they're like limiting themselves, you know, by doing so. I think there's, there's plenty of really great reasons to go nonprofit instead of that kind of for-profit social entrepreneur. Hey man, I would buy and read that book. That sounds like an awesome Cheers, man. I think that's a fascinating well, topic. So do it, <laughs> please awesome, get it out there. And I, then send me a link. I appreciate the encouragement. Yeah. No, that's, good, that, I think that's so incredible. And that's a message that a lot of people need to hear right now. Um, let's, you know, I want to take a quick step back. I mean, there's so many things to unpack there, but yeah. So Adidas, you know, well, I want to go into a couple things. First of all, how do you get sure. clients or whatever you call them? Clients like Adidas, which a lot of people are yeah. going to be interested in. And second of all, okay, so let's start with Adidas calls you up. What do they want from you? What are you doing? What are the details there? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, so, you know, most of our partnerships uh, kind of are like a 50-50 split as far as leads driven through our website and word word of mouth. Um, So really, we're not doing any kind of like cold outreach. Um, Mm -hmm. Really, you know, what we've tried to do is, from the marketing perspective, just really offer a ton of value to artists and business owners and teachers and people who love art. You know, I think like getting people in and being excited about our whole get art, give back model is like a pretty, a pretty easy sell once we, you know, we know that you're into creativity and making mm. the world, you know, a better place. So, you know, over the last few years, we've totally stepped up our game as far as I think adding a ton of value for our heroes is what we call them. Um, so that they, they trust us and they see that we're like, giving a ton of value before we're even talking about some of the right. bigger ways that we can work with folks. Right. But like on a, on a technical level. So they're like, we yeah. want to fill a space with art and you provide that art, that art is for sale or what's going on. Yeah, sure. I guess I was kind of going back to like how those relationships started. And sure. the other piece is, is the word of mouth side, but yeah, it yeah. ends up being like, 
uh, whether an office or a retail okay. location or commercial real estate, uh, yeah. a restaurant, a okay. residential condo building. Um, most times there's art, sometimes pretty crappy art in some of these locations, right? And so sure. for us, really, what, what folks I think are more interested in as far as what we're able to offer is connecting them with local working emerging artists who are creating art that is actually accessible, right? So like okay. um, a lot of times people think of art, they think original painting, $10,000, not for me. Um, mm. I also am not in the market for $10,000 original painting, right? Mm. And I think that's why I Paint My Mind has always focused on prints, um, oh, we're building, okay. yeah, we're building a large collection of limited edition prints by local artists from all over the country. So when we rent art to Adidas, they're able to look through a menu of 50 artists, over 1500 pieces of art. Um, and we're really curating stuff that is more accessible, more emerging, more pop, more graphic. So are the pieces yeah. themselves for sale in the location that they're shown or is it just they rent and you just you fill up the space and that it's just a rental deal yeah it's just a rental so for us oh, we're building a permanent permanent collection yeah it's basically a rotating art subscription for that company right, right? um so the company gets that art rotated okay. um on any kind of interval that they like right it's all super customizable we basically have oh. different like package levels where a company yeah. can have the art rotated if it's a more global company they can mm -hmm. kind of curate that way if it's a company that really wants to go local which obviously is often really popular you know we're able to do that most uh, we have about 50 percent of our collection are artists in chicago so this is where we're hq'd but we sense. also have access to artists um uh, nationally and even internationally so um yeah actually looking at a couple partnerships uh in new york city as of as of now looking into next year and yeah it's really uh more pop more accessible local thinking about it as like a rotating art subscription that also funds okay programs in local schools so um, so how many how many pieces yeah. would would a typical tier be like you know 20 50 100 or do, does it oh yeah no custom? i mean it's totally yeah no we we at first we were like it could be anything but that's hard to help folks wrangle it right so we yeah. have we have like four packages okay. um, that you can check out on our website yeah if you mm -hmm. go uh, to ipaintmymind.org um, you can uh, check out our different services under what we do and it kind of gives the different tiers and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a, you know, we can, we can go everywhere from four pieces in a small office to, you know, a hundred pieces in a multi-floor corporate park. Right. So it's, right. Uh, it's pretty, uh, um, it can expand and contract. And the nice thing is we really kind of talk about finding um, the best fit for that partner, whether it's Adidas or a school on the South side, right? Like, I think a lot of times people think about art and curators as like, tell me what to like, like <laughs> right. give it the seal of approval. And sure. while I have very clear opinions about what I like um, too, and yeah. what I pay my mind is, is curating, you know, for us, it's really important that our clients and our partners be involved in what we call a co-curation process, right? That it be reflective of the community and that we be able um, to really kind of create this notion of, of mirrors and windows. So we talk about that in our schools a lot, right? That kids um, see themselves reflected in the artwork, but that kids also kind of see into other worlds, right? right. Um, and so I, 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 that's, that's both profound. important for Did kids. Did you come up with that? That's very cool. No, no, no. Mirrors and windows is not my concept. It's, okay. it's common in it's common in education, but it's, it's a perfect lens for I, I think thinking it. about right. the role that our art intends to play in a space, right? And yeah, um, you know whether it's you walking into Adidas and seeing the whole Ivy Park Beyonce thing and like 16 pieces of art on the side by a local artist or just going into a school's main entrance and seeing a curated exhibition that welcomes you into the building. Like we all know and can relate to spaces making us feel different ways, right? Mm -hmm. You walk Absolutely. into a big, incredible, uh, you know, museum, uh, foyer like you do at SF MoMA and you're just like, yeah. this is incredible. This is insane. Right? Yeah. And so like spaces uh, tell us how to feel. Right. And yeah. so we really um, kind of like this idea of being able to play with the murals and windows concept and, and really kind of beating back that like snotty nose, we're cooler than you curator shit mm -hmm. and more being like, this is about us having a dialogue and becoming partners and finding a way to really build a relationship based on that. 
So this is such an interesting idea, obviously. I mean, it seems like such a fully formed idea. Um, was this an odd moment? What's the genesis? Yeah, how did you end up? Because, you know, it makes so much sense now that you're talking about it, but sure. eight years ago, yeah. What? where did it start? How did you get this yeah, particular I mean, idea of renting out art? Yeah, man, I mean, I think here's the thing. I kind of also kick back at this notion of like, fully formed ideas dropping over one's head and just like this enlightenment moment, like hardly dude, hardly like the first, <laughs> the first art exhibition that we curated into a park district, like Brian, who's on our board, who's been around since the very beginning, like we're literally like framing secondhand or like reframing art with secondhand frames that we bought from like a hotel liquidation center. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> wow. What I would be more focused on is like less these like yeah. droplets of genius that filtered to mm -hmm. us and more like being like interested, like driven and maybe like shameless enough to just fucking try it. Mm. Right. And I think there's so many of us that are like really, really precious about our shit. And like so much of this is digital now. It's like, yo, delete and rewrite <laughs> like, yep. you know people people getting crazy about the con the copy on their website bro you could change it tomorrow that's you true. know and i and, and i think there's just a lot of I, I i have i was kind of simmering on this the other day i think a lot of what happens with like the social media way of living in the world is that there um we have more places to kind of like front definitely you know yep. and like there's just Huge more problem. real estate for fronting. Yes. You know? AKA and all like, of TikTok. Just kidding. I'm <laughs> it scares me. I've never been on. Uh, Don't. Like, oh, uh, it, it, it should scare you. I've been on it. And yeah. man, it's, I've talked with Matt about this, but it's a scary sure, place. Yeah. yeah, man. And, you know, I think, and like, you know, I think like aside from that, I think like kind of what I was going to tease to is that I think the fact that there is more real estate for like our avatars. Yes. That like, there's even, it's like even more scary for folks to just fucking try the shit. Mm -hmm. Like nothing is fully formed. If anybody tells you, like all the little anecdotes that I've offered in this podcast did not happen at the same time, right? They're mm -hmm. like points on a line where you come to new understandings of what you've been doing and what you should do. And I think as long as you're like, listening to that and okay with like publishing or shipping or launching something that is not a hundred percent, the closer you will actually get to a hundred percent because yes. the people that you serve will tell you how to get there. Right. That's so true. And like, you, you and probably I, know and that, I, um, that study, that famous study where I think it was a college study where they had two groups of people and they said, okay, you've got a semester sure. and the end project, you know this, right? And they said one yeah, needs to make art every single day. And then they're, we're going to judge them on their last piece. And the other one has six months to make the best piece of art that they can. And of course, yeah. the people who did it every day just crushed the other team. So uh, I believe that. I'm for so sure. in favor of like small, consistent steps towards the goal. Like right. I think a lot of times like folks, their their bigger vision for what it is kind of paralyzes their ability to take that first step Definitely. and like i've i've been unsure too so i've got compassion yeah. for that you know but i think like um as with anything just like doing the thing flexes the muscle and you learn stuff by doing mm -hmm. that and did you start with a partner or what was so did you start yourself and then bring on a partner or uh, well, I mean, it started as the website, so it was definitely me. Okay. And then as it kind of moved into the nonprofit space, yeah, I'm a, I'm a solo founder. Uh, Brian Flannery, I call him our number two because he's been along okay. the entire time and is about right. as close to a co-founder as you could have. Uh, both like just a huge support for me personally as one of my, my dear friends, um, but also just like super aligned with the mission and understanding mm -hmm. kind of the, the spark that it launched from. So he's, he's a really huge resource for us and our, our entire board is uh but yeah no it is uh i think yeah I'm a, I'm a founder type person i i lead stuff i start stuff i like building stuff and so um yeah i i took a chance on it and it's it's uh it's honestly it's super super 
uh, validating and just like fulfilling to be able to like work with great artists and companies that give a shit about the world and, mm. and teachers that are like out here doing an incredible tireless job, like day in and day out, you know, I think, uh, kind of just like, yeah, just teasing on the, like why I do this stuff. My mom was also a teacher at that school that oh, I cool. had such incredible experiences at. And so I also very much feel like as an organization, we are honoring educators, um, and find it completely insane yeah. that they would be lined up for, for the first criticism as takers in any context. Right? Yeah. It, it's, right. it's insane to us. Our, our, the teachers that we work with um, are just such uh, an encouragement about like the goodwill in the world, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But, but yeah, so yeah, no, it's a, it's a, I, I like I said, I'm, I'm working on launching another biz. So I think there's, I think there's probably more, more a secret biz or something you want to talk about? It's not quite ready yet, so I'll hold okay, off. Right. Uh, but uh, <laughs> to be it's continued, a super yeah. passion project. It, it'll it'll be delicious. I'll say that. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> Already yes. starting to think yes. about it. Community yes, food. Yes. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> a food court of local. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so do you have a roster of artists that you always work with, or does that rotate too? Yeah, so uh, you know, his, we've we've been lucky to work with tons of really awesome artists um, over the over the last years, and uh, you know, for us, kind of going forward, we've established really great relationships with a lot of printmakers in Chicago. Um, Chicago has a really thriving gig poster and screen print community. Mm. Um, yeah, just lots of really incredible work. I think um, you know some of the first art that I started purchasing for myself and collecting were gig posters you know, advertising different rock concerts and stuff that I had gone to, right? So it's kind of like one of our inroads into building relationships with with folks here locally. Uh, but, you know, kind of uh, kind of going forward and back to kind of that mirrors and windows concept, you know, we've been doing some really great work kind of behind the scenes as of late, as far as really getting intentional about how we want to continue building out the collection. Um, and yeah, we've kind of, you know, just come to... Um, Kind of looking at the communities that we serve both in chicago and and nationally and kind of coming to the fact that being able to offer mirrors and windows for any community that we work with and curate art for is basically the goal so really looking at kind of like the demographics and um and culture and in the communities that we work with and really ensuring that like dialogue is a part of that and also being able to create benchmarks for the next couple of years as far as how we continue to grow the I Paint My Mind uh, permanent print collection. Um, so yeah, it's, it's exciting because we're just basically about to finalize um, some really cool specific benchmarks and timelines for, um, yeah, just adding more breadth and perspective to our collection, which we think will just be helpful in connecting with more and more communities all over the country. That is just wonderful, man. Um, do you yeah, yourself fun, paint? Do you make art or is it just strictly curator organizer? No, yeah, I, uh, so I was, I did a lot of drawing as a kid and I think I was also like, despite being encouraged in these ways, I think my leaning towards like soccer had me like invest less in like my own personal yeah. art skills as like a younger kid. But, um, I've circled back to all kinds of stuff. I do a lot of, um, Kind of like fine art photography a lot of like color and digital manipulation type mm. stuff i've done i got into a illustration project where i was like drawing these weird circular amoeba things on puzzles that you could then nice. take apart but then kind of frame with a couple of the pieces missing um yeah and i actually do uh most of i paint my mind's video um okay. dabbled in music before and, yep. and my, my next project i think is like I want to do some large scale painting. I got some fun ideas, but, um, that sounds great. You always know, down to dabble. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny that, that this is your world because I've believed in this. I've actually made many pieces of content about the subject of curation. So a lot of my awesome. life has had to do with curation as well. So I started totally. one of the world's largest dance music blogs and, you know, there's oh, wow. so many millions of artists making great music, but how do you curate that in terms of, you know, what you want to hear? And and I got my start in sort of the DJ scene, but was a DJ for many, many years. And of course, being a great DJ is itself just an act of curating, right? 
You're picking sure. things, you're stringing them together, you're making a set out of disparate pieces. So I, I really, really believe in the skill of curation as being a valuable skill. I, I think not a lot of people are totally. thinking that way or talking about it, though. But um, yeah, because, you know, you can have and, and I talk about taste a lot in things that I do about, you know, there are people who can be very successful, but they have bad taste. You know, sure. like just because like you can market something to the masses, but maybe if both parties have bad taste, then that can be successful, but not good, if that makes sense. So I totally. think, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you consider yourself a man of good taste and I have no doubt that you are. But I think it's just so important to show people not just, you know, art, but like you said, the uh, the windows to good taste and say, hey, this is something that is worth seeing. It's not just a a blue square on <laughs> a white painting or sure 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 and i think to me i think so there's a couple pieces that come to mind i think since everyone is a curator these days right everyone's kind of yes. got their own little cross section that they can offer so i think yes. that has even kind of almost even denigrated the role of the curator um in our like hyper information i can scroll through 100 images with three yes. thumb rolls type type thing but like to me curation is about like creating context and like sequencing right it's like um what's around the art mm. <laughs> what art are you putting around the art what you know um it, it's i think it's something that I'm, I'm uh more and more interested in is like uh like just like spaces and interior design as well yeah. as like an extension of a lot of the yeah. work that we've been doing and kind of like just being in more spaces and um kind of yeah as i said kind of tapping in more into, into how certain spaces make us feel. But, um, it, you know, this with the DJ blog, right. That any great yes. DJ, um, it takes you through those peaks and valleys and builds yes. the culminations and then, and then sends you on that's your happy exactly. little way. Right. Yes. That's it exactly. So, so yeah, I think there's, um, that, that is the product of a sequence and the product yes. of someone creating context. And although, as I said, I'm super confident in the things that I like, to me, it's I probably less about like an objective version of what is good or like anything than it is like creating the context and seeing where the dialogue goes. Right. Creating a third thing, the sequence creates a new thing, right? The context, the sequence creates a new thought process that emerges from the totality of what you've put in a space. Totally. It's just like listening to a full record with 12 tracks versus the yes. single that's number three, yes. right? Like it, it, you get the whole vision, you see the scope and you get the trajectory, right? And I think um, without context, things can appear differently, right? Yeah. Or with context, you can kind of reframe your understanding of the thing, right? And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think people getting a chance to decide what they like even just like have mm. that conversation with themselves yeah. i think it's so yeah. much le less about uh evan larufa or i paint my mind necessarily imposing a certain um aesthetic even though our collection you'd be able to get that from what we what we have i right. think it's kind of how uh the context for our partnerships and our client work is the relationship that we bring to it right and so um, I think being able to build that out and also tie the real value of how art lives and feels and drives energy in a space like for our clients. Um, and obviously with the backside of that, you know, it's, it's also creating this connection and, and giving back. Right. So, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, very cool. So well, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. also super fascinated with the intersection of business and art. And I don't know how it was sure. in Chicago, but where I grew up, I think it was DeVry or one of, did you, do you remember those commercials from the nineties where DeVry, the kid wants sure. to go to art school and the dad is like, you need to go to business. And it's like, wow, there's tension, you know, pull it's that like, up. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I mean, did you, you remember those commercials as well? I do. So it's like, I you're do. either doing business or you are doing art. And if you're doing art, you are going to fail. You will never make money. You will never be successful. Um, and you're here yeah. disproving that <laughs> right now. Uh, yeah. And I think I, I was just the one piece I would just add to that is I think it's, there's no better time to make money on art. Like the world has met you, have, you as an artist, anyone as an artist has never had as many tools at their disposal to connect with people 
who could enjoy their stuff. And so, you know, um, the, like all the artists that we buy art from, they're also the CEO of their one person business. Right. You know, they are, they are business people as much as, as they are, um, as, as more as, as much as they are artists. And I think the kind of, uh, the way content has changed, people being able to sell work on demand, being able to create their own websites, market, build followings just means that like, um, it's a great time to become an artist. That's awesome. So are you able to create some kind of income stream or stable living for a lot of the artists that you work with? I mean, you know, it's interesting because I think as a nonprofit, a lot of times you kind of get pushed into a corner to try to take credit for more than you should. Okay. Um, I guess what I mean is like, right, you go to any nonprofit site and you'll even see statistics on our website about like the impact that we create. But mm. I think a lot of times like, um, I don't know, especially with me, I sometimes don't entirely believe it. Um, and so I guess part of that to me is I just tie it into our artists and that like, I we're not solely responsible for any of our artists, the mm. artists that we work with doing really well. They are, okay. right? Yeah, like sure. They're the captains of their career. And quite frankly, we gravitate to the artists who are handling their shit, right? But, yeah. uh, you know, like aside from that, I think... Um, that we do create really awesome touch points and become part of the mix of the artist pie that becomes the full pie that offers them yeah the ability to so make more art tomorrow. Yeah, I completely get it. We're part of it, man. We're part yeah. of it. Like I think I, I I would just hesitate to take um you know like say hey this artist is there because of us. No, like right, right. yeah, we we bought a couple thousand dollars worth of prints from an yeah. artist that we really support and she was able to like meet a really cool goal recently and like we saw her post about that on Instagram and we we're like hell yeah, that's dope. Good for you, right? Yeah. But it wasn't just because of I paint my mind. We we were part of I think a constellation of support and relationships for for those artists. Well, that's a very uh, noble way to respond to that question it's I it's like just it. fair yeah. man i think I, yeah. yeah it's just fair okay um to what degree did the movie wild style influence you do you know <laughs> i'm blanking dude what is this is that is that 80s movie about graffiti i think it's in new york about but it was um so i think the the main character's name was zorro or something like that but he was a graffiti artist and, uh, you know, he was doing graffiti around town, urban setting. I mean, this is one of those iconic hip hop movies of the eight, early 80s, I think. Um, but, Jeez, you know, he does graffiti all over town. And of course, it's underground. They're running away from the cops. But then at some point, somebody figures out that he's an artist. And then he gets into a gallery with his graffiti. And then there's this line blurred between like, oh, graffiti is art. Or it started that train of thought that like, it's not just bad. It's, oh, my it's God. Art. Fab Five Freddy. Oh my gosh, dude! And Grandmaster. Oh gosh. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Like, no, I'm not familiar with this. You well, just, you got to uh, get on that. <laughs> yeah, that you must. It's it's uh, apparently mandatory. Dude, wow. I would I would have thought for sure because I've seen some of the. You know, you're working with murals. You said right. So street art. Yeah, totally. So what's you know? Yeah, definitely. What's the deal? I guess with 82, that? man. I was uh, I was born in '83. I guess Wild Style was not uh, <laughs> was just, not just, in my just purview. Method, yeah. You well, just, just turned me on. If anybody in the world should see this movie, it's you. Like a hundred percent. I'm not, I will do my homework. Yeah. So, but like, because you're doing murals, you're doing, I don't want to say graffiti, but you're doing things on sides of buildings and other stuff outside, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we've done exterior uh, murals and uh, interior murals as well. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it is really amazing to see like, um, how popular murals have become um, in, in, in like in cities and corporate settings. Like, you know, I think uh, um, obviously the way like New York and Chicago have have misunderstood and conflated graffiti art and gangs has been mm. like sad and ridiculous. Yes. Um, you know, in Chicago, we still like brown out with brown paint, like, uh, anything that's done with a spray can you know what i mean because like yes. these fools don't know uh, latin kings from a throw up sometimes it's just like it's it's wild uh, but yeah i think like it's it's cool to see i think uh people and companies quite frankly like embracing art's ability to bring people together you know i think it's a as, as we kind of move more and more into experiences gaining more value i i see that 
trending upward as well. Interesting. So somebody has a space or a company, they they contact you and you're the go-between with between them and an artist or how does that process work? Yeah, sure. Basically, we kind of manage the the entire process. So yeah, a company will come to us, they'll have a, a particular space that they've identified for a mural and then we work with them to bring different artists in, give them options, kind of facilitate mm -hmm. that process. And uh, yeah, we've got a, a fun one coming up soon that I'm sure you'll you'll see posted sure. about shortly. Awesome. Yeah. So another quick thing, I mean, obviously you've been a go-getter for a very long time. Um, I saw recently you posted on LinkedIn, you just got an executive MBA, possibly another kind of MBA, I think. Um, you posted your certificate. Uh, just one. Okay, okay, yeah. just one. I thought I saw two, but okay. So you got an executive MBA. Um, how much has, do you, well, do you believe in formal training? Has that impacted your, is it just for the piece of paper or was it actually helpful for you to do that? It was not at all for the piece of paper, really. I mean, I think like it's interesting. Like I, I as I mentioned, I kind of see myself uh, starting other companies and doing other things like that. So for me, it was very much about just uh, adding tools to the tool belt, just really kind of um, getting uh, the kind of some of the formal training um, on stuff that I had already been doing, right? Mm, and I think yeah. kind of like. Uh, going back and like learning some of the rules so that I can re-break them intentionally as opposed to just breaking them unintentionally. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I think like I really, I really just love learning. Like I, I read a ton, like yeah. tons of podcasts, films, like I'm just kind of voracious about it. And so mm -hmm. um, if I can, it's, and, it's, and it's especially so if I can like apply it directly, right? So like the entire time I was in this program, I was always like, this is how this influences I paint my mind and this other project that I'm working on in this specific way. So yeah. like just being able to, to practically apply what I was learning was huge. Um, and, uh, yeah, the other piece is that, uh, for our cap zone project, the group that I worked with, we worked on the business plan for the business that I'm going to launch next year. So, um, awesome. It was, so it, really it was very helped. productive. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so, all right, that's that's great to hear. Um, when you got started in all of this, I think what will be very interesting for some people is what are some of the challenges that got in your way? Was it a smooth path? Were there really rough patches getting it off the ground? Uh, let's see. Like, I mean, you know, I guess it, no, there's, there's you know, <laughs> there's. I kind of talk to folks a lot of times about how, like, sometimes just, like, I'm killing it. Like, I'm on top of the world. And the next day you're like, what's going on? Like, I, I don't know what's up and what's down, right? And I think, yeah. uh, you know, to be honest, there's been plenty of both of those. Um, you know, I think at the same time, like, I've been, um, yeah, super supported by my wife, Lindsay, in, like, her just believing in, in me and what I was doing and not really kind of having, I think, maybe some of the external pressures that folks have where, like, maybe your person isn't exactly rooting for that thing that you're like trying, you know, and like, that's, that's not as great. So I, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm happy to say that and, and just lucky to have had, you know, I think that support. Um, and, uh, you know, I think like the, the kind of uh, other piece to that is like, when you have that, you're more and more driven to like honor that. Right. You know? And so like her belief in me, um, I think has always kind of kept my head above like, some of the shit that might wig you out, like not having a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but like, I think it's always been really clear to me that like there's things that I really value and things I can totally go without. And so, um, you know, I don't have a $5,000 mortgage and that really helps. Um, mm. but you know, um, um, I think there's just ways where I think we've been able to be intentional about our lives and, um, honestly lucky, like I, you know, we mentioned before we jumped on the podcast, my folks live around the corner, help with my kids a lot. Like mm -hmm. there's things baked in that I think have given me a little more security and saying like, I'm going to go for this, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, and this has come up actually in some other kind of discussions and podcasts is like, uh, I, I don't really feel like I have another option. <laughs> like, uh, I'm doing this creative problem solving connector curator thing is I think kind of my, uh, my thing. And so oh. I don't, you know, I, I really, it's been cool to kind of, I think build 
build life as intentionally as possible and also kind of be a little bit resolved in that, like mm. going to uh, like a job at a desk just doesn't really feel like an option yeah. for me. Um, and so that also just kind of whenever I get kind of uncertain or like doubtful, it's like, dude, what the fuck else are you going to do? You, yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. keep, I know that keep, well. keep trusting yourself, keep putting the effort in. Um, and you know, and rest at the end of the day, right? But like, I think um, ensuring that like you're like I'm putting in the effort that honors the support around me and honors, mm-hmm. um, you know, the vision in itself is is huge. So um, yeah, I just honestly, I just feel lucky and grateful to like um, be able to put the harder moments in perspective because I have some of that uh, support. That's massive. Do you, would you say that, do you feel that you're living your dream right now? Or if not, what would the well, dream be? That's, I, I love that. I think, uh, you know, we've all got like goals, right? Like I think there's like, I'm again, the kind of like creative voracious piece to me would, uh, like quibble a bit with like, uh, framing in that way because it would might be like too uh cozy um but like i i do you know i i do feel really lucky to like really love my life most of the time and i think because i'm engaged and connected to what i'm doing that like yeah some of the raw moments are a little more raw (laughs) and like some of the happier moments sometimes feel like they're like whoa, I'm like high off this. This is like really good. Um, but I think, yeah, I I think, um, um, I'm super lucky. And I think I have all the elements of like a life where someone would say like, yeah, that, that works really well. I think as far as like, uh, yeah, uh, the family, the creating kind of this life where I'm able to contribute in a way that I actually care about. Um, so yeah, I am living the dream. And there we go. And I'm and I'm also just really excited about like growing, continuing to work on cool stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Who who do you look up to most in your space or just in general? Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Wow, that's a nice question. I think it's good. We should. I think probably a lot of us should kind of think about that a little more. And uh, yeah, I definitely have like. yeah, some some mentors and and friends that um, I totally look up to. I think as far as like kind of uh, um, crafting that intentional creative life and kind of like uh, doing so in both uh, an uncompromising and super compassionate way. Yeah, um, you know. Um, uh, someone that's coming to mind is my my friend and mentor Jeffrey Davis, who runs uh, a company called Tracking Wonder um, in New York State, um, and does a lot of work with creative entrepreneurs and tapping into story and value and mission. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been real lucky to participate in some of his workshops and also just uh, be able to call on him as a friend and, and a mentor and someone who's I think. You know, he's a, a just a few years older than me, and so really being able to kind of like uh, look ahead and um, yeah, it's just a it's a huge support. And then and then I'll also say this morning I was I called my buddy Talib, who's up in Toronto, just to like get a word on a thing that was wigging me out, and he he said the perfect thing, and it was really helpful. Nice. But uh, yeah, man, it's uh, uh, those 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 would be two folks. The last thing is piece of advice for the youngins out there somebody who's mm. listening and thinking, okay, this is something that I want to do. I want to start a nonprofit, but I don't know where to begin. What would you say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would we specify, could we, do we have to specify to the nonprofit or could it, or could it be even more like, no, definitely a little not. broader. Cool. Yeah. Broader for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think the things that I would come to are like, um, I think a lot of times we kind of, in glorifying the fully formed idea, we also glorify the night and day switch. So like telling your job to go fuck themselves and then like starting this dream, starting this dream project the next yes, day I'm gonna do it. and then like be- becoming Beyonce, right? What is rent? Like, let's like just bring it down one, right? And I think um, 
it, it's really, I think, so to so the first piece, like maybe if you're not so loving your job, but it like isn't stressful and you can kind of compartmentalize it, mm. start building that other thing while you're not worried about how to pay your rent. You know, yeah. I'm so about the side hustle, like prove to yourself that you give a shit enough about it to hustle on it from five to 10, three nights a week mm-hmm. for six months, mm-hmm. you know? So I think there's that. And then, and then one foot in front of the other, like, I think we can just get way too far ahead of ourselves on like the vision yeah. and that like a vision is the result of adding thousands of little steps to each other. Right. And Definitely. so like, take the first step, take the second step. They're really small steps. If you isolate them in and of itself, mm-hmm. they're very doable. And then I think the last piece is like, just avoid that preciousness that like, uh, cultural compulsion we have to act like we know what the fuck is going on all the time. Right. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, That's like sage advice. It's just like, I've been too unsure too much of the time to start yeah. acting like I'm not, <laughs> you know? Yes, so completely. like, I just think completely. like, it's okay. If you're unsure about the thing, if you've gotten it to 80%, like really kick the shit out of it as far as an idea, a concept and an offering and the value that you're bringing and then just give it over and let folks help you take it from 80 to a hundred. You know, I think yes. uh, we've, 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 I've learned so much and I think my mind has learned so much from being a little less precious, being willing, willing to test and have the communities that we serve really mm. make the difference in the offerings rising to the top. I love it, man. So good. All right, two quick two quick things to wrap this up. One, favorite Quickies. book of all time. Oh, shit. That's really tough, man. Gosh. Gosh, there's t- oh gosh, that's so hard, man. There's just so many. Um what comes to mind first? I will say The Mind of Clear Light by the Dalai Lama. Because it's about Man. being okay. Yeah, it's it's intense, but it's really really good. Oh, I like it's it. about I being like okay. It. Yeah, it's about being okay with dying. Great. And it's like uh, it's a really beautiful meditation. That is awesome. Yes, I love the Dalai Lama's tea. I mean, I had one of those Dalai Lama quote a day calendars for a while, and there you I go. That was that was a pretty good year, honestly. <laughs> Starting every day with one of those <laughs> was that was pretty good. I bet it helped bet. me out. That's for, for sure. sure. Um, Sure. And I guess the very last thing, put a cherry on top of this whole thing. Sure. What is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten, professionally or otherwise? Hmm. I guess to me, it's less about like an explicit directive that like I was given at some point that was just like, oh, do what that person said. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's more like, I think implicit advice that I was raised in, um, which was like about being really loved and being okay, exactly how I am. Right. And so I think like, I think like my ability to be who I am in the world is really kind of like the root of that is being super loved up as a kid and not, um, not really questioning myself in a space at all, just kind of being assured in a way that I think has maybe allowed me to, to be too forward in certain instances, but probably in most cases has, um, I think allowed me to kind of exhibit, um, yeah, I think maybe just a level of leadership and authenticity that has helped my projects work. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess it's it's less prescriptive than than anything, you know. But um, I really think it was something that was kind of just like embedded um, in, into into who I am, and and I think is probably way more formative than any piece of like more prescriptive mm-hmm. or tactical or strategic advice that I've gotten later on. Because I think a lot of that has mostly been about discovering it you know just trying stuff 
Cool, man. Well, I thank you very much, Evan, for your time. This has been this awesome. Fun. Great chatting yeah, with dude. you. Uh, podcast Likewise. officially over. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've been enjoying this show, please like, comment, share, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to me on YouTube. It would mean the world to me. Also, do you have an unusual success story or do you know someone who does? Well, please recommend them to me. They could be a future guest on this show. Maybe they've rolled the largest boulder down the mountains of Tibet. Or maybe they built the world's largest chicken farm in Madagascar. The point is, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm looking for inspiration and unusual success stories. So help me by being a part of this adventure. I'm looking to grow this podcast with you. Thanks again for listening.